0: Welcome to You Can't Make This Up, a companion podcast from Netflix. I'm Ray Vada, and yes, I'm back. I know I've been gone for a little while, but I'm here to host this week's episode. Every other week on You Can't Make This Up, we bring in a new interviewer to discuss a different Netflix series or film with our special guests. And there's something every story we talk about here has in common. They're all true. This week, we're focusing on one of the wildest stories we've ever seen here at Netflix, it's a documentary that has had major impact on the world of sports and the world at large. This week we're talking about the Academy award-winning film Icarus Max Linsky, one of the co-hosts of the Longform podcast, is joined by Brian Fogel. Brian's not only the director of Icarus, he's also at the center of the story. If you haven't seen Icarus, here is your spoiler alert for the rest of the episode. But if you've seen it and you just need a reminder, here's a quick recap. Filmmaker Brian Fogel set out to make a documentary about how athletes were getting away with doping by doping himself. He got Gregory Rudchenkov, the then director of Russia's National Anti-Doping Laboratory, to help him figure out how. What unfolded, however, was an international doping scandal that shifted the worldwide dialogue for everything from the Olympics to the World Cup and beyond. Of course, a lot more went down during the filming and in the aftermath. But I'll let Max Linsky and Brian Fogel tell you all about it
1: well hey Brian hey max how are you i'm well i'm, I'm well. doing I'm doing good they're all uh set up here in my house and uh and I have a dog max who's right by my side so it was uh good max environment <laughs> yeah well you know
2: i like I like the max vibes to be good well i uh like everyone else in the world and the academy was uh just blown away by your film. Congratulations on the award how how is it uh how does winning an Oscar change your life?
1: Um, well, first of all, uh, thanks. It was uh, an incredibly humbling experience. And, um, you know, it was a, a tremendous amount of support around the project and, you know, just a, an amazing uh, team of of people that came together to, to help the film get the recognition that ultimately... Uh, uh, happened with the Academy. So that was just awesome. And, um, you know, I guess how, how it feels different is, um, I'm not quite sure. I mean, there's, there's uh there's, you know, it's like I have this Oscar in my house, and so I walk by it every day. There it is. <laughs> so every and, every morning uh, I wake
2: up, I go over, I kiss it. Well,
1: uh, <laughs> no, that was just the first couple weeks. First first couple weeks of having it, I just wouldn't let it leave my sights. So I'd bring it to the bed with me. I'd put it in the kitchen. <laughs> I'd put it in the trunk of my car. But. um but uh, yeah, uh, but ultimately, uh, it's. Uh, I think it's only um, a wonderful tool to be able to continue to to do work and to be able to continue to to do projects that that inspire you. So um, uh, for me, I think um, winning uh, the Oscar has just opened up doors for me to continue to uh, to do work.
2: This is probably like a, a corny question, and I. I chalk it up to me watching too many like sappy movies or something but when you're like standing up there is there any part of you that thinks back to like the original genesis of the film and when you first had that idea and like whatever you needed to do to take it out and get funding and pitch it around like to think about how wildly it changed and that you're up on there like are are you going through that process at all or is it just kind of like a holy shit moment
1: um, I, I, think, I think I has been going through that process throughout the entire process. Um, I, I think, um, for me, the most, uh, surreal thing about it was, uh, when I, when I started on making Icarus, um, you know, a little over four years ago, I was probably going through, uh, one of the hardest, um, creative and financial periods of my life. And, um really trying to figure out if I was going to be able to continue to uh, be a filmmaker um, and be able to get funding for projects. And so um, to have that experience four years later to, to be on the stage winning an Oscar when I started the film coming from a very different um, kind of emotional and uh, financial state in my life and creative space... Um, that was, uh, that was pretty amazing. Um, and so I've always, uh, I've thought about that throughout this entire experience. And, uh, was
2: it, um, sorry, I, I, I guess I didn't totally know that. Was it close? I mean, were you really close to not, not making films anymore?
1: Yeah. You know, I'd, I had, uh, I, I did a play that was, uh, uh, very successful that played in New York for three and a half years and los angeles and all over the country and then i did a book and then i had um directed what was my first feature film a, a comedy which was an adaptation of of the play and and uh long story short the film uh just uh I, I took bad money into the film um um the financier didn't want to sell it there was just all these you know stories that, that you hear and and it didn't uh open up doors in my career as I had hoped it to. And uh, and I spent essentially a couple of years after that process trying to figure out how I was going to restart. And um, and cycling for me is, had always been kind of my therapy in life. and Even though I think in, in Icarus it kind of shows, oh, I was racing bikes. I mean, the reality was is that I'd stopped racing bikes when I was 20 years old and I had gotten very back into cycling, um, kind of as a, as a therapeutic kind of way as I was figuring out how I was going to, um, write the next chapter in my life. And then, you know, Armstrong confessed and I started getting this idea in my mind that, Hey, uh, we've never seen kind of a, a supersize me-esque journey in in the world of performance enhancing drugs, which, you know, obviously, uh, is, Got a, a, a universal, uh, worldwide curiosity to it, and also I, I was looking at what I viewed was uh, totally ineffective uh, anti-doping system on a worldwide basis. Because despite the government and WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, parading that that they had essentially, you know, caught the bad guy, they really hadn't caught him at all. It was. Uh, it was a confession based on all of his teammates ratting him out uh, in exchange for their own immunity. So I was going, wait, um, <laughs> not what's wrong with Lance Armstrong. Uh, what's wrong with this global anti-doping system that can't catch a guy after testing him 500 times? And uh, and to me, that, that felt like that was going to be um, an interesting story and, and hopefully would make for a compelling film.
2: And how long were you working... On that version of the film uh, before like your your story turned
1: well I was working on um on that version of the film. There was about a year uh, for me of um, essentially coming up with the idea and then figuring out how I was going to get you know a first round of money to kind of just start in on. On the process of, of filming. And so it took me about a year uh, to get the first tranche of financing to kind of start on that journey. And that really started in um, April 2014. And I had already talked to Gregory uh, Rachankov months before I'd actually started shooting. So there was kind of a, the initial seeds of it. Um, but I didn't know where that was going to you know, lead to or whether or not it would bear fruit um, until you know November of 2015. So, you know, so here May, June, July, August, September. You know, a year and a half into making the first film, um, you know, is when essentially I realized that the first film that I was making uh, was going to be completely inconsequential to what um, to what the film would ultimately become and uh that that moment is
2: one i really want to dig into for a second because i'm interested in a a whole slew of things And one is um is there any part of you that wonders what this sort of first version um in its entirety would have looked like how that would have played as a doc is like do you do you do you think about that at all is like when you, when you switch gears in the way that you had to, like, uh, do you, do you mourn the lost narrative somehow?
1: Um, no, I don't mourn the lost narrative. And there was, um, so many moments during that really first year, um, where I had this kind of like, you know, what, what the hell am I doing? (laughs) Were any of those moments
2: while you were like uh, you know sticking testosterone in your ass?
1: Yeah, it was just it was it was it was one after the other, and then you know and you know I had uh, Gregory involved you know very very early on in the process, even before I had started doping. But to me, in in the early stages, um, the the film that I was making and the success of the film hinged on my ability to essentially dope and evade uh, detection and that, you know, Gregory, of course, was the co-conspirator, you know, sideman in the project, but ultimately whether or not the film was going to work hinged on, on that premise for me. And so, you know, after I completed the, the second uh, hope route in 2015 and didn't perform as well as I had hoped, there was um, kind of a, a huge burden and, and what was feeling like an elephant that, that I wasn't quite sure um, if I was going to be able to pull off the film as, as I would hoped for. And, and at the same time, I had already been interviewing all the guys that had been uh, investigating Gregory and had been investigating, um, you know, the uh, Russian, you know, state sponsored doping system. So, right. so I'd been planting that, I had been planting that, that foot, and I had been doing that, you know, really through the entire process that I was, that I was doping, but I didn't know what, where that was going to go to at that point, you know, what the investigation was going to find, you know, and whether or not that potential storyline was going to pay off. So, I mean, there was just so many times that, um, I just, um, you know, I had, I had self doubt, but, but, you know, I, I kept going. I was, um, you know i was i was on this journey and i wasn't going to stop
2: help help me just understand that last thing a, a little bit more if you can like how do you how do you get over that moment of doubt you started on one course and i i i it's interesting to hear you say that actually that like you know you were having those conversations already you were interested in wada already and and like those tracks were laid on some level but like i can just imagine especially if you felt like this was like you know, a pretty important shot for you in your career and you've gone and sold this kind of like super size me version of the film. Like I can imagine at least that it would be pretty nerve wracking to feel the ground shifting under you. And I'm just kind of, uh, I'm, I'm interested in how you get through that.
1: Well, I mean, I, um, first and foremost is I didn't, um, as I was setting out on, on making the film, um, creatively and career wise, I didn't really have like a backup plan. So, so it wasn't like this was like a side project to me, or this was something that I was, you know, kind of doing in between, um, other work. This was what I was doing. And this was, you know, I I had essentially created what was a a full-time job for myself in making this film. So, so as the story um, just kept, you know, unfolding, I, it, it, you know, it was like, okay, well, this is, this is, this is the journey that I'm on. I'm going to continue to follow it. And then I was very, very fortunate um, that Impact Partners, um, who was, uh, who came in as my financier after the first year of making the film realized and understood uh the story that we were in but there was a long period of time also that none of us were really thinking so much about purely the, the film it was really that we were in a, a real world crisis uh right. gregory's life was essentially uh in my hands and um and there was a huge amount of trust there and we were dealing with a you know a, a true uh real uh, uh unfolding um Situation: The stakes were high, and so during that period of time, the film became secondary. But I always made sure that there was a camera there, so it was like every day we were in this right. like, you know, uh, daily crisis management and how we were going to bring this story forward. But I made sure that there was always a camera there um, to essentially record what was going on.
2: How did the people around you? How did their feelings about what you were doing change as the stakes changed? Like, there's this moment. Like twenty minutes into the movie, it's right when you find out that uh, Gregory is being investigated by WADA, and you're talking to Ben Stone about it. Right. I mean, you know, there might be someone else out there that's that, that might
0: be a better decision or choice. You're using this guy as your outlet for coach. I don't you tell me and what's your comfort level? Well, you know, I mean, like, here's how I'm kind of looking at it. You out. know, you can find someone else. If you're calling doping doctors. I don't know what you would label Gregory. I mean. Is he a biochemist? I, I don't even know. Oh, it doesn't even matter. I don't like this shit.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it seems like people in your life weren't too into the original plan, weren't too into you hanging out with Gregory. And then once once the whole tenor changed, what did people around you think? Not your producing partners, but like your friends.
1: You know, it's uh, uh, actually uh, most of what we were going through... Um, I kept pretty close to my vest and, uh, among only those that were working on the film and and the project, because this was, this was serious. So it's not like at that point, um, you know, I was, I was talking to all these guys and telling them what was going on. Um, you (laughs) know, is
2: it weird though to like, you know, go get dinner with somebody and just like shoot the shit while you're like, uh, Try, trying to keep a man from getting killed?
1: Well, I think I think the the, the 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 interesting thing is I is through the you know, the process, obviously my parents, you know, I would I'd call up my parents and be like, you know, oh my god, you don't understand what's going on. This is really serious and you know, I think my dad, kind of always being a skeptic, was like, Oh yeah, 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 you know, and and, and they had actually met Gregory and and so nobody could kind of fathom what I knew and how kind of serious and and far reaching this was, and essentially kind of um how big this scandal was and um so you know any anybody that I kind of shared with this um, outside of my creative team, like my family or stuff, would always like downplay this like I was essentially you know like- a conspiracy right. theorist or something so so that was uh that that was uh that that was interesting and then. I think you know among athletes and and guys who are riding with cycling with, and there was only a handful knew that I was like essentially taking uh, PEDs, even though I was an amateur and even though I was doing this uh, purely from an investigative point of view, they would like get into like this like ethical conundrum about it, <laughs> and and I always thought that that was was very strange because if you have an ethical conundrum that. Uh, that sports should be clean, and you're an athlete and you're not taking anything, which, you know, which which I believe in that, um, then my process of wanting to show that the system was a fraud, um, I would have thought that other athletes would have been excited about, and yet they were looking at it that I was like a cheater, and I was consistently going, I'm not, I'm not a cheater, I'm not going into competitions where I'm being paid money, I'm not a sponsored athlete. I'm a filmmaker and I'm investigating something and I'm showing, hopefully, um, the fallacies of a system which is actually going to help protect you and help you, if you're a clean athlete, uh, ensure that that competition is clean. And, um, and so I, I, I encountered that many times along the journey and I always thought that that was, that was very strange. That that these guys couldn't like step out of their own shoes to understand what was the bigger process. What do you
2: think was threatening to them?
1: Well, I think I think what was threatening, um, and I've um, and I've kind of continued to uh, encounter this, and I'll share with you um, one story just from this past week through the film, and then in the last year, you know, I've gotten to know Lance Armstrong. So I went cycling with him last week and that must have been pretty cool. Yeah, and it was and it was really cool. And so you know love or hate Lance, you know, for me it's like wow, I'm I'm cycling with, you know, the the guy who, you know, who, regardless of anything, he he won the Tour de France 7 times. Uh, I mean Shooting shooting
2: hoops with LeBron
1: Yeah And uh, And whether And to me Whether or not LeBron James Hypothetically You know Is taking something Or not You know Or or, You know That doesn't That didn't diminish um, The feat Of winning Seven Tour de France's Knowing that Everybody else Was essentially Doing the same thing And if you go back Historically You know It it really Is arguably a, A level playing field Because there was Nobody else To give those titles to um, and there's still nobody else to give those titles to. So
2: How's how's, uh, how's Lance Armstrong doing these days?
1: Yeah, well, hang on. So anyway, so I post a photo of Lance and I on Instagram riding, and I get like a, a couple angry text messages from, you know, from ex-pro cyclists that I had somehow like stabbed them in the back. And, and I'm thinking to myself, not only have I not stabbed you in the back, had the Lance story not happened, um, then icarus and all these revelations would have never happened i would have never started on that journey um uh, i would have never met gregory i wouldn't have been able to bring what was a fraud you know on a level a million times bigger than lance forward and in so doing that's helped protect you know clean athletes that's helped you know hopefully make changes in the system and bring awareness globally to to a bigger problem so um it's always been interesting to me how um how short-sighted I've I've found many people um in this journey rather than looking at the at the bigger perspective outside of themselves.
2: Well he he also I mean Armstrong in particular just he's such like a trigger. He just represents so much to people, I think. Um you know, he's just like he's a symbol in all of these ways. Over and over and over again in Icarus we see him say I've, I've tested positive every time, you know, look into the camera and say, I never doped. Right. Say I'm clean. Yeah. And, and I wonder whether you think that in those moments he knew he was lying or whether he had, he, he had found a lie to tell himself that was so powerful that he believed what he was saying.
1: Well, I mean, you would need to ask Lance that because I I certainly wouldn't uh, know that. But but I believe that um, you know we get into in in, in Icarus um, the whole theme of of Orwell and doublethink and Nineteen Eighty Four, which is Gregory's um, favorite book and, and was kind of his roadmap for life. And I think that in many ways that probably. Um, you know mirrored lance's journey and in, in you know the idea of uh, the more and more you you tell a lie that ultimately you start believing um, in its truth um, and and that certainly was kind of the the roadmap of, of gregory and his journey and winston smith in 1984 which is this you know this double think, which is you know continuing to repeat a lie until it becomes a truth. I can certainly understand theoretically where where Lance was coming from all those years that you know once he was caught up in that and once he had become a champion and the sponsorships and also the belief that um, everybody else was was doing the same thing or were doing the same thing and I could see why the defense of that lie occurred not not to justify it or not to uh to validate it, but I think I could understand what that might be like to be caught into something like that. Because that certainly was Gregory's path as well.
2: It is about double think. I think that's uh that's a much finer point to put on my like clumsily phrased question. When did you uh when did you decide to to use nineteen eighty four as as such a like kind of key device in the film. Did that come late or did that come early?
1: That came, that came late. And, um, and, uh, I I wish I could truly take credit for that, but I, I, I can't. Gregory traveled, um, with, you know, with, with 1984. And at the time, um, you know, I had, I had multiple editors, um, on the project. And, um, one of my lead editors by the name of Kevin Clauber looking through all the footage, um, had really, Grasped on that Gregory was always quoting Orwell and it was always quoting you know out of 1984 and he had been doing it you know through the entire time that I met him I mean and and you know like long before uh, he had he had fled uh, to to the U S and um, I remember Kevin saying to me you know hey Brian have you read 1984 and uh, I go yeah I mean in high school he goes you know you should go back and look at this and. And I went back and started looking at it, and, and there was, I think, kind of a, um, oh my God, uh, light bulb moment among uh, myself and the creative team that essentially what was happening in our story mimicked, you know, 1984, and that Gregory, in a way, was, was Winston Smith, and hmm. that narratively, the construct mimicked the three stages of Winston S- Smith, uh, learning, understanding, acceptance. And... And those stages um, of Winston Smith's journey was truly uh, mimicking Gregory's journey, and here Gregory uh, was the living embodiment of Doublethink. So all those kind of revelations um, led us to think that this could be a narrative arc, uh, that this could be a construct that we could frame the story around. And uh, literally uh, a couple days before bringing Gregory into protective custody, dropping him off at the airport, which was in July of, of 2016, um, we brought him into our editing offices and um, found a quiet room, brought in the sound guys and recorded him reading uh, various passages, which we had highlighted in 1984 for you know a couple of hours. And then over the, the next year, as we crafted the film, these passages we were able to to frame a story around, and had his you know audio of re, of recording that as the narrator. Can
2: I ask you no, Can I ask you another process question? That's that's right in line with like that that evolution. Sure. When he started, at first he was like a character and an advisor in the film, right? And then he kind of becomes its subject and then he be kind of becomes your friend and, and then he becomes a, a victim and someone who's in danger. There's so many different roles as a filmmaker in that process, right? Like you're starting to wear all these different hats. And as you were saying earlier, like at some point the film actually becomes of secondary importance. When you start realizing that, like this guy's life is kind of in your hands, I mean, ha- how do you figure out how to protect him like what wh- what do you do? There's a moment where you reference that you talked to um ben Weisner snowden's lawyer and i I just like i wonder like uh once you realize how high the stakes have gotten like literally in a practical sense, how you figure out how to protect someone like in that situation
1: Well, I think that's uh um two two parts of that answer, which is first. Um, the desire to protect him, and and you know, there's there's a scene in Icarus where the water report comes out. He's forced to resign from the lab. The lab's accreditation is pulled, and Putin is on television, basically saying that we deny this. None of this is true. But if any of this happened, it'll be the individual that is held responsible, and punishment is absolute. And here's Gregory. In Moscow, uh, with two FSB agents essentially living in his home, quote unquote guarding him um, and that uh, and that statement by Putin and what was going on um, was essentially his death sentence um, and they were going to throw him under the bus and so as i as I understood that very quickly, the idea that i wasn 't going to help him to me never really crossed my mind because here he had been my advisor, uh, and helping me without literally, a uh, uh, a dime of money. There was never any financial, um, consideration. Um, he was, he had just been helping me and advising me and filming with me as, as a friend. Um, you know, I mean, it was, it was truly as simple as that.
2: Why do you think he did it? Like, why did he start doing it with you?
1: You know, uh, I've asked him that many times and, and i think that um i think that 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 he liked and you know what he said to me is that he liked that i was devious he liked that i was <laughs> um you know and in his mind i was an amateur athlete so you know i wasn't a professional so hey there was you know this this gray area loophole that you could uh, theoretically help me you know at least in his mind which of course um, that was certainly a conundrum that we had in, in before the film took the turn, which was, I was like, how are we going to ever put this out? Gregory will lose his job. He'll be, you know, exiled. He'll be, you know, because of, because everything that he's helping with you, he, he shouldn't have been doing to begin with. But, um, you know, we had this trust and I think that he, in his mind also, um, you know, maybe there is, um, you know, a a manifestation of 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 what was happening, and I think, and I think he probably realized, and I know that he realized that, you know, the noose was kind of tightening around him. This investigation was was unfolding. There had been this German documentary, and on top of that, um, he was fed up with uh, with his job. He was fed up with the ministry. He was fed mm-hmm. up that you know that that you know that he was no longer a scientist. He was essentially a guy who was. Whose job was dumping out, um, you know, dirty urine for clean urine, and um, I think all those elements probably led him to um, to help me. That it that it seemed like a new adventure, um, but it was ultimately, you know, his um, help and 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 trust that we established that made it very easy for me to get him that ticket to get him here and protect him because he had been such you know an extraordinary friend to me. The idea that I wasn't going to be a friend to him didn't really cross my mind.
2: Yeah, it's funny thinking about. I, I watched the movie twice before you and I talked, and w- watching his introduction again, knowing like where the story's going to go, you know, you you really read it differently. Like the first time I experienced it, he kind of seems like someone who's like. Um, He's kind of just did it for like the ego boost, you know. Right. Like he's good yeah. at it, and he likes talking about it, and he wants he wants he wants it to get seen, and he seems kind of like oddly like uh, nonchalant about it. And um, and then the second time around, knowing where it was going to go, there's this other element to it. Like maybe part of why he was so game to talk to you was because he th- was trying to figure out how he was gonna get out maybe it was just one path you know one possibility maybe there's like a bunch of hands but maybe you represented some 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 chance that could work
1: you know uh i you know look i I, it's um there you know to uh, not wax philosophical or spiritual but uh uh, there's so many things that kind of happen in the journey of life that that you might look at that could be random or by chance, but ultimately um, have have a have a bigger purpose. And so the just the idea that that uh, that I come into Gregory's life and Gregory comes into my life at that perfect timing. Um, that you know that 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 he helps me um, in my journey, and then I you know and then I help him in his journey. Um, you know all these kind of just different. Uh, things that that transpired, uh, really transpired, um, you know, almost feels like like fate. I mean, that we were meant to come into each other's lives to to help each other. It certainly is um, kind of a crazy uh, story when you look at how it all came together and uh, it it happens. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I don't and I don't think and I don't think Gregory. Um, knows exactly you know why or how he did everything other than other than he did he trusted me i trusted him and uh ultimately i protected him and my team protected him and he had protected me
2: at any point
1: as these roles were shifting
2: and you were going from like director subject like advisor athlete to friends and then protector like at any any point did he become a a collaborator in the filmmaking? Like, I'm thinking about, like, the big interview where he, it walks you through swapping urine and admits to everything. And maybe we could just take a second and listen to that really quickly. This was named Operation Sochi Resultat. In Russian, resultat
1: means to achieve positive results. So you need clean urines. I need clean urines for each candidate. So every single Russian athlete under the state-sponsored doping, you had clean samples of their urine being held? Yes. So that if an athlete, anybody needed to be swapped, you could swap them? Yes. But in Sochi.
2: So like when you sat down for that big interview, had you guys talked about it was it planned
1: i mean there had you know i shot actually multiple um interviews uh that were you know various um kind of versions of um um you know of 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 the tell all because there was so much to tell and um and before and before we we sat down and, and did that interview um you know, we had had multiple discussions, and I'd actually um, shot, um, you know, just uh, stuff not not all lit and and ready for that in various kind of iterations of it, and um, and certainly as you know, as we got into the editing event of, of that story, we probably even pulled audio from from a couple different interviews. But the un- unraveling of that really was over a couple months' time. Of once he had got to Los Angeles, and I think Gregory's decision to become a whistleblower and his desire to to expose this truth, and as that desire in him grew, um, you know, our kind of continuing to shoot interviews with him uh, as he became more and more open. Um, about what had happened and what he had been involved in, that continued kind of our our journey of of interviewing, and obviously um, the biggest revelation or fraud being um, what he had been involved with in Sochi, and um, and that he was essentially the the architect of that plan.
2: Do you think it, in this way that we've talked about? We're like the stakes were kind of building on themselves and the ground was shifting. And all of a sudden, as a viewer, at least you realize like, oh, this is this is a much bigger deal than I, I thought even a few minutes ago in the film. Do you think that he was aware of the stakes the whole time?
1: Absolutely. And the, and the funny thing, or not the funny thing, but the reality is that Gregory kept telling me the stakes consistently. and And I knew what the stakes were, but, you know, he would be like, you know, this is a nuclear bomb, this is a big bomb, this is a huge bomb, this is going to change <laughs> change the world, this is the biggest fraud in in history, this is the demise of the Olympics, this is uh, going to destroy Wada, this is going to destroy Russia, this is like, and so Gregory was always kind of reminding me of of how big this was, you know, and I knew that, but, you know, there's, there's also kind of the the idea of you know hey somebody telling you something so you know if I'm saying Max you're never going to believe this this is really big you know and then <laughs> right. and then and then you know kind of the understanding of whoa this is really big and then of course the media and news and investigation and New York Times and everything going yeah this is really big <laughs> and and then all of it being proven true so. I I, I think Gregory from from day one knew, you know, kind of how big this was and how big of a fraud and and held those cards to his chest a little bit initially. And then um, as our trust built and his desire uh, to become a whistleblower and expose this fraud grew, you know, he knew that there were you know, essentially many chapters to play. And, right. and 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 those chapters have continued to, you know, to unfold. I mean he was he was just recently coming very public about various players on Russia's World Cup soccer team that he had been swapping urine for. You know, there's still pieces of his story that just keep unfolding.
2: It's so um that's <laughs> funny to hear you say that. There's something about like part of what makes it hard to know where the stakes are in the film is that all of the, like, Olympic and WADA officials, basically every single one of them is such, like, um, a, like, careful, older, white man with gray hair, and they all talk in, like, such monotones, you know, that it's sort of hard to know how important or eventful or impactful what they're saying are like the whole culture of it is so like neutral and monotone and and gregory's so not that he's so like animated and all over the place and that scene when he sees the time stories is really i think what i was asking about because that seems like one moment where he it sort of hits him the magnitude of 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 what he's doing um it's striking to me that his first reaction was just like that story's so good, you know, like this is so good. And and honestly, Brian, what, what it made me think about was what his reaction to your film would be. Do you know if he's seen
1: it? Uh, Yeah, no, he's, he's seen it. Um, I know that um, his lawyer showed it to him. So I I don't think he's ever got to experience it uh, in a theater on the big screen. I know he hasn't. Um, But, um, I know that he was uh, incredibly moved by it and um, I'm really taken by it. And um, I think he was kind of overwhelmed emotionally by how it came together and how, you know, we we portrayed him in the film and et cetera.
2: I assume that um, you don't know where he is and you haven't talked to him. And even if you did know and you had, you couldn't tell me. But... um, Imagine that he's, you know, somewhere wherever you get put when you're in witness protection. And uh, he just happens to be a listener to this podcast and subscribing on his iPhone and listening. Is there, uh, is there something you'd want to say to him after all this?
1: I mean, I think I would say to him, you know, I don't know if I can curse, but, you know. You can. Uh, I think I would just say, holy fuck, man. <laughs> look, look, Look what you did you know um no i mean i uh, i am constantly concerned for his um emotional and mental well-being and uh, you know being a whistleblower is uh in many ways a very selfless act because if you look at kind of the history of many whistleblowers um is they pay um you know a, a huge cost and when you look at gregory's journey um outside of the notoriety recognition um whatever you might want to call it pseudo celebrity behind that there's there's a very heavy price which is this guy is going to have a, a target on on his back for the rest of his life uh certainly we're, we're we've seen this you know in the case of skirpal or alexander Lithanenko or or any number of russians that we've you know that we've read about that have that have met um untimely demises um and he is uh, isolated from his family he's is isolated from ever returning to that country and My understanding is that you know he lives um most of his days kind of in solitude um, hmm. because you know he can't he can 't be roaming around in public um, apparently they put him in a bulletproof vest when he goes out and and um you know his lawyer and f b i and whatever have continued to facilitate him being able to do interviews and press to keep the story forward um but um it's a it's a you know it's it's a big it's a big price to uh yeah uh to pay do you miss the guy yeah of course um and uh you know i i i, I worry more or think about more what is two years three years down the line, look for him. And, um, and I think that that's, that, that that's a heavy toll.
2: I got, I got one more question, Brian, and then I'll let you go. Thinking down the line for him is one thing. Um, thinking down the line for you is another. And I believe in that stuff too, like things happening for, for a reason. And, um, it does seem like from a strictly like narrative perspective from a filmmaking perspective something miraculous happened to you you know i mean um uh, you just the story of a lifetime just kind of unfolded in front of you and took you on this crazy path and you know you got that oscar that you sleep with every night and
1: not anymore that was only the first couple of
2: weeks oh right 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 my bad my bad <laughs> Well, here's the thing I, here's the thing I, was, I was wondering is like, um, what do you do now, man? Like you, you, you can't recreate that, right? And I, I know some people who, who have had um, that kind of public success. And I know that your phone starts ringing and your email is crazy and all these offers pour in. But how do you like, how do you follow up something so incredible and so impossible to engineer?
1: Um, that's a, that's a good question. And I think that, um, you know, you, you, I, I've experienced this in, in a much smaller capacity before where, um, I, I did this play called Utopia, you know, is, is a big success. And in the success of that, which kind of went, went on for years, I found myself kind of trapped by that success. I, I liken it to kind of being uh, Ross, David Schwimmer on Friends or Jason Alexander on Seinfeld where, you know, you're always going to be that person um, no matter, you know, how many times you might try to reinvent yourself and that can kind of burden you because it's this feeling of of you know, of imminent failure. And I think with Icarus having went through that once with um, with Utopia I know that um, I'm not going to replicate that success. Um, I am not going to uh, uh, very unlikely find a story like this again. Um, and so you have to kind of understand that creatively and just try to kind of push forward with what with what inspires you. So, you know, for me, like, the, the follow-up is um, to produce doc projects that I'm passionate about and... Um, I've got a scripted feature that um, that I'm working to get going, which is a, a true story, and um, so figuring out kind of how to how to navigate that, um, knowing that whatever I do is not going to be Icarus, but hopefully, um, you know, it'll it'll be its own thing, and you know, and you just move forward creatively and and uh, and try not to worry too much about the overall outcome, other than to do your best. Hey, thank you, man. Thank you for doing this. Uh, Thanks, Max. My pleasure.
0: That was Brian Fogel in conversation with Max Linsky, host of the Longform Podcast. Before we let you go, we've got one more treat for you. You know the segment. It's what you're watching. It's where we find out what the people who make these Netflix original series and films are watching on Netflix. This week, Brian Fogel fills us in on his favorite shows.
1: Uh, a couple things, uh, uh, Wild Wild Country. those guys just knocked it out of the park with that. Uh, the Bobby Kennedy Doc series have found uh, just just incredible. I finally found time to get into the keepers and uh, and I love the crown and I like Narcos too. I really want to watch this staircase which looks crazy. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to seeing that.
0: And that's it for this week's episode. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about the new season of Last Chance You. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show. It helps other people find it and also makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Pineapple Street Media and Netflix. Our music is by Hansdale Sue. I'm Ray Vada, and thanks for listening.
1: You know, November of 2015. So, you know, essentially there was. Hi, Max. I'm oh, sorry. Hang on one second. That's fine. I would have been bummed if Max didn't make an appearance. <laughs>